Good morning. For those of you who are new within the last seven weeks, my name is Rob Prince, one of the pastors here. For those of you who have a bad memory, my name is Rob Prince. Hello, I'm one of the pastors here. For those of you who are trying to forget, hello, I'm Rob Prince. You're stuck with me. It's good to be home. Oh, my land. Our students, thank you, our students sent me a card every single week, encouraging me. Every single week, I got another card from our students, which was really awesome. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We're in the 24 series, the 24 hours of Jesus. Uh, Pastor Tyler began in the, in the upper room, the Lord's Supper. Pastor John last week was in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're using Matthew 26, kind of as the, or Matthew, the, Matthew's version of, of the, the Holy Week. In those last 24 hours. So we're at Matthew 26, verse 45, in the middle of it. Jesus said this. He's in the garden. Peter, James, John. Look, the hour has come. And the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. In my Bible, I circle betrayer. He doesn't say, here comes Judas. We all know it's Judas. No, he says, here comes my betrayer. Here comes the rat. Here comes the guy that just sold us out for 30 pieces of silver. Here comes the guy who's with us for three years, saw, saw miracles. Saw Lazarus walk out of the tomb. Saw 5,000 people. Here he comes. Here comes that dirty, stinking rat. Verse 47, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer, Matthew's telling this story, and he picks up Jesus' same word. Now the betrayer, now the guy that sold us out, now the guy who, who stabbed us in the back, now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, is the man arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi! And he kissed him. The, 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 the word there for kissed him is not just a little peck on the cheek. It's, it's more the greeting you would give a long-lost friend. Someone you hadn't seen in years. Went up to him and, and gave, you know, someone you'd give a big bear hug to. Greetings, brother! Read this. You're not going to believe it. And Jesus replied, do what you came for, rat. Do what you came for, jerk. Do what you came for, friend. Wait a minute. This guy stabbed him in the back. This guy sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. Do what you came for. Friend? Would you say that? Somebody who sold you out? Somebody who betrayed you? Someone who hurt you deeper than anybody ever could? We're going to come back to that. We've got to come back to that. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions, John would tell us it's Peter, reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant. John told us his name is Malchus. Servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Luke, Dr. Luke told us that the ear, you know, fell down in the dirt. Jesus picked it up, back on, good as new. Put your sword back. 
in its place, Jesus said to him, For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you not think that I cannot call my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions, 72,000, 12 legions of angels? One angel was good enough to, you know, wipe out the Egyptians. 72,000 can handle this little mob. Are you kidding me? But how, but now, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? It's a confusing thing for the disciples. Here they are, Peter, James, John, with Jesus. It's confusing because, well, two weeks ago when Pastor Tyler was preaching on the Last Supper, he was using Matthew's gospel. And Luke, when Luke is telling about what happens in the Last Supper that night, a few hours earlier, right now with the arrest, it's happening like between one and, and three in the morning. But when there was supper time, when Jesus was with them, this is what Luke says, Jesus said. Jesus said this just a couple hours earlier. Chapter 22, verse 36. But he said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, ah, you'd expect Jesus to say, if you don't have a sword, ah, you don't need one. If you don't have a sword, ah, who cares? If you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Does that sound like Jesus? It is written. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, see, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough. Jesus said that. Now, it sounds like Jesus when he says, put your swords away. But here Jesus said, that's enough. What's going-? You see how it's confusing to the disciples? And then if you read down, if you read down in Luke's account, when they're in the garden... Jesus says, the disciples said this, Lord, verse 49, Lord, should we strike with our swords? They're asking you, should we do it? Lord, it's not the time we got two swords. Should we, should we fight? And either, you know, I don't know if Jesus didn't answer, if Jesus didn't hear him, if, 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 if Peter just, you know, responded, but that's when, you know, whack, poor Malchus, ear, back on. You see how this could be confusing? Why did, why did Jesus say, you know, two swords are enough? And then say, put your swords away. You see how that could be confusing for the disciples? Some Bible scholars think that Jesus said, take two swords because, you know, it's dangerous between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane. That's a lame excuse. I don't think that's the reason. And some, and some commentators think that Jesus said that two swords are enough. It's just like when, you know, kids are, are begging their parents for ice cream or a husband is asking his wife on sabbatical for more ice cream. Can I have ice cream, ice cream, ice cream, ice cream? And Carla says, no. You know, it's stuff like that. And then eventually, ice cream, ice cream. Oh, go ahead and get ice cream. Is that what's going on? Should we take two swords, two swords, two swords? Oh, go ahead, two swords, that's plenty. Or maybe Jesus knew what was coming down the pipe. And he knew that, that Peter said he would fight to the death. And he knew that Judas was going to show up with a mob. And he knew that the poor Malchus would be at the wrong place at the wrong time. And he knew that he was going to pick up that ear and back on his head, good as new, no harm, no foul. And he knew all those things. Why? Because he's Jesus. And if you go back to chapter 26 of Matthew, this is what Jesus says. In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you should come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me, but this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be... Am I leading a rebellion, boys? I just, I just healed one of your own. He got his ear whacked off and I just... Am I leading a rebellion? Does this, what, is this what happens in rebellions? I told my fellows to put the swords away. Is this what happens in rebellions? 
I'm not leading a rebellion, fellas. I'm leading a revolution of love. Jesus over and over and over again said the kingdom of God is here, is now. The Bible tells us that what happens in the kingdom of God, we pray it all the time, may your kingdom come, your will be done in Flint as it is in heaven. What happens? Those swords, they're turned into plowshares. What happens when the kingdom of God comes? Lions lay down with lambs. What happens when the kingdom of God comes? Uh, peace is, is, is overcomes war and, and love abolishes hate and, and sickness and pain and worry and death itself are no more. The kingdom of God has come. I've not come to lead a rebellion, boys. I've come to lead a revolution, a revolution of love, a transforming revolution of love. High point. And then the Bible says, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Do what you came for, friend. Why would Jesus call the Judas friend? Why not betrayer? Why not rat? I was watching a movie the other a week or two ago. And one of the, it wasn't a Christian movie, it was just a movie movie. It wasn't about, you know, the Bible, it was just a movie movie. And one of the guys, one of the characters said, I'm no, be, I'm no Judas. He said, I'm not a betrayer. I'm not a I'm not a rat. I'm not a, I'm not going to I'm not going to turn you in. I'm no Judas. I think the I think the, the the issue that I've come to is that Jesus could approach Judas and say he's friend because he views people different than sometimes we view people. For us, we view people it's us versus them. And us are always the good guys and them are always the bad guys. Us, you know, we, we do it in, 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 in politics. Ah, Republicans, rah, rah, rah. Ah, Democrats, rah, rah, rah. It's us versus them. We do it in a workplace, you know, people who are, are going against us. They're the bad, they're people that are out for our job. It's us versus them. We do it in sports. You know, their team is bad. Our team is good. Our team, our team can do no wrong. Even if our coach punches another coach, they can do no wrong. It's us versus them. We do it in school. I don't know what the, the groups are in your schools. When I was a kid in school, there was the band people and the choir people and, and the jocks and the nerds and the, and the potheads. And I don't know. You can guess what group I was in. Not potheads, not, not, not choir people, not band people. Not, I was in the nerd group, I think. It's us versus them. But it seems like Jesus, it's not that way. It's us and us. What did Jesus tell in John chapter 3? You know this verse. For God so loved the world. Not, Jesus came not for them. Jesus came for us. What, is, what, is, what does Paul say in Romans 10? If you, and meaning plural you, if you and you and you and you and you up in the balcony and you and you and you and you and you and me, if we declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised us from the dead, you will be saved. A little bit down, down a little bit, says everyone, 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 everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not us versus them, it's just us. All of us. People who have wronged you, yeah, they're included in that us. People who have hurt you, yep, they're included in that. Anyone, anyone, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, that's what he's saying. Jesus, who's, who's modeling before us, this guy, the, the, the person, the, the worst person, right? Any survey down through the years for the last 2,000 years, who's the worst person in history? Judas always tops the list. And Jesus goes up to him, do what you came for, friend. Jesus isn't being sarcastic. It's not do what you came for, friend. Huh? Some friend he turned out to be. 
That's not it. Jesus is never sarcastic. Have you ever once read anything from Jesus where you thought, oh, he's being sarcastic? No. He's being truthful, straightforward, honest, real. You do what you came for, friend. We like to judge. Jesus says, do not judge. We like to make enemies. Jesus says, love your enemies. I, I write a blog every now and then, and I write you know, stuff that I send out on the weekly email to y'all. Sometimes I put that on the blog, and sometimes I write stuff about the city and, and community, and sometimes I write stuff about the general church of the Nazarene. And a few months ago now, I wrote a blog for the general church, not our church, the general church, about how we need to be united. Um, and, you know, Jesus said, a house divided will not stand. And so I wrote, was writing about how the general church needs to be united. I told you, our church is united, praise the Lord. And, and so, I, you know, a blog on unity should not be divisive, right? You wouldn't think. Well, apparently it was. And a friend of mine, a friend, he called me up and he was all upset. And he said, and he said this. He literally said, he's a, he's a great guy. He pastors a good church. He said, I don't know if we can be friends. So what do you mean? Of course we're friends. We may disagree, but we're, we're, we're... It's not us versus them. It's us and us. We're all on the journey. Now some of us are, are, are in different places in the road on the journey, right? In the first service, Jim Fouts, he turned 91 today. He's been on the journey for 91 years. I talked to a lady this week whose daughter, whose daughter died of SID at 78 days. I don't know if you're 78 days in or 91 years in, but we're all on the journey. Even the people that have hurt you, wronged you, whatever, we're all on the journey. And, and Jesus calls us, he's modeling for us, that even people, even people that have stabbed us in the back, that we're still called to love, called to friend, do what you came for, friend. While I was gone, while I was on sabbatical, my aunt died, my aunt Lois. Um, my mom's sister, Lois. She died on, on February 22nd, so 2-22-22, five days after her 85th birthday. She died. Uh, they didn't ask me to officiate the service. There was no service. Um, I hadn't seen Lois in over 35 years. Carla and I celebrated our 34th wedding anniversary. Lois was not at our wedding, not because we didn't invite her, but she chose not to come. Lois never met my sons, never met my, my boys' uh, wives. When my dad was dying, we called her and said, listen, um, dad is dying. We'd love for you to, to come to the funeral or be there. My mom would love you to be there. Nothing. When my mom was dying, her sister said, we'd love, Lois, we'd love for you to come. We'd love for you to be there. Nothing down through the years my mom and her sister had a falling out and my mom repeatedly now again I'm biased it's my mom right but my mom repeatedly 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 with broken heart would call hang up send notes don't know if she read them try her best to mend those bridges and my aunt Lois died a bitter angry old lady she wrote off the family. Listen, it is so easy for us to write people at, hear this, if you're online, hear this. Jesus will never, ever, ever write you off. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, 
no matter, even if you've shaken your fist and cursed at God and said, I'll never trust him, Jesus will never write you. If he didn't write off, write off Judas, you think he's going to write off you? If he didn't write off the guy who stabbed him in the back and sold him out for 30 pieces, you think he's going to write? No, he'll never write you off. Jesus is modeling before us. The one who called us to love our enemies, to be peacemakers, he's modeling before us that we too are to love even those who are unlovable. But pastor, you don't get it. They really have, they, they, I get it. Okay, we're on the same road, but I'm up way up here and they're way, way, way back there. I gotta set my Bible down for this. This is what happens, I think, too often. We turn our Bibles into binoculars and we look at people and we say, oh yeah, look what they're doing. Oh boy, they're bad. The Bible says this and they're doing that. Oh, that's bad. And we use our Bible as binoculars. When the Bible is not meant to be binoculars, it's meant to be a mirror. Oh, look at me. Look at my attitudes. Look at my behaviors. Look at where I'm at. We so love to compare ourselves with others. I, I, I may be bad, but, I, but he's worse. <laughs> I may be here, but look at her. And Jesus, it's not us versus them with Jesus. It's just us. We're all on this road. We all need Jesus. Yeah, but they really, really, really need Jesus. Can I tell you? I really, really, really need Jesus. Pastor, okay. Okay, Judas and Jesus. That's an extreme. Can you give me something closer? Okay, I can. In the Bible, I can. There's another story. You know, all the disciples take off, right? They all leave. They all fled. Peter shows up a little bit and he denies. You know that part of the story. And you know, spoiler alert, Jesus is going to be crucified. He's tried, convicted, crucified. There's how it goes the next few weeks. Well, there's one disciple, just one disciple in the middle of this story. All disciples flee, but there's one guy that shows up. And you know who it is? Anybody know? Do you know? It's a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. And Joseph of Arimathea... Two of the Gospels call him a disciple. All four of the Gospels mention him. Matthew tells us that he's rich. Okay. Mark tells us that he's part of the, San, uh, the, the ruling council, the Sanhedrin. The people who next week, if you show up next week, we're going to be talking about the trial. Joseph of Arimathea was there. In fact, Mark tells us he's a prominent member. That meant that people listened to him when he spoke up. He's a disciple. People listen to him when he speaks up. They have a trial. But everybody seems to be in agreement that Jesus needs to be dead. And so the big question is, what in the world is Joseph of Arimathea doing? He's the guy, he's the guy, he's the guy that's going to eventually take Jesus' cold dead body and put it in a tomb. But prior to that, he's sitting in, he's in the room. He's in the room where they're convicting Jesus. And John tells us why, why, John tells us exactly what happens. It says this, now Joseph was a disciple, there it is, was a disciple of Jesus but secretly. You see that? Because he feared the Jewish leaders. Well, there's a word for a secret disciple. You want to know what that word is? Lousy. That's a lousy disciple. I've preached on that. You know, people say, I'm in the Lord's army. Yeah, you're in the secret service. No, that's bad. I preached that. I, that's bad. And that's what, that's, what, that's what Joseph Arimathea was. That was bad. Jesus said, said, you know, if anyone's ashamed of me and my words, I'll be ashamed of them. You've read that verse in, chapter, in Mark chapter uh, 8. He's secret. And so just imagine. Okay, imagine. This is in the Bible. This is in Rob's imagination. So disciples all hidden. They've all taken off. They've all left. They're hiding. 
But I can imagine their conversation. Oh, I can't believe Judas. I can't believe Judas would sell us out. I, can't, I, 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 I just can't believe it. And then somebody chimed in, yeah, but what about Joseph Arimathea? He really sold us out. We, he was our ace in the hole. Jesus goes to the Sanhedrin. Joseph Arimathea, prominent member. He's going to stand up and say, no, 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 wait a minute. What about Jesus? He's innocent. He didn't say nothing. I had Joseph of Arimathea. And Joseph of Arimathea got the cold, dead body of Jesus and put it in a tomb. Now, for us, we, we, we don't even think about it because we either bury people or we cremate people. That's what we do. But that's not what the Romans did. You know what the Romans did with bodies off the, off of the, that they were crucified? They threw them in a heap outside the city gates. They let the animals and the birds, you know, vultures or whatever, come and pick the bones clean. It was a message to everybody else. This is what happens if you go against Rome. You are crucified and we just throw you out like the trash. And along comes Joseph Arimathea, the guy who was silent in the room. And he gets Jesus' cold, dead body and puts him in tomb. If it wasn't for Joseph of Arimathea, there'd be a very different Easter that we celebrate. There'd be no rock, no tomb, no Jesus walking out. So this guy that the disciples were, were murmuring against, I can't believe he didn't speak up. By the time they're writing the gospel, by the time Matthew's writing and Mark and Luke and John, they all mention him. He's become a hero. Going for Joseph Arimathea. Why, what would Easter look like? Why do I tell you that? I tell you that to say, you know what? Maybe we need to stop using the Bible as binoculars and start using it as a mirror. Maybe we need to stop comparing where they are and where we are and just say, listen, we are all on the journey and we all need Jesus. Maybe we need to start acting like Jesus a little bit more often. Even those people that have hurt us, that have shamed us, that have ignored us, that have... That have stab their uh, knives in our back. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I'm not saying we just bow down. I'm just saying we need to pray for them. We need to care for them. Not write them off. Keep taking them to Jesus. Jesus, you know this person. You know where they're at. You know what they need. They need you, Jesus. I need you, but so do they. Would you be with them, Jesus? It's not writing people off. Listen, Jesus will never write you off. Never will he write you off. Let's stop writing people off and taking them to Jesus. And maybe the, maybe the most important lesson whether you're here or whether you're at home, maybe we need to hear what Jesus said to Judas one more time. Do what you came for, friend. Some of you are here, you're just kind of dipping your toes in faith. You're not really sure. It's time to step over the line. Do what you came for. Trust in Jesus. Some of you are wondering, you know, about this church thing, about this faith thing. About the, Do what you came for. It's time, it's time, it's time. Jesus is welcoming you with open arms. Jesus will never welcome me. After this and after that and all those things, listen, if he welcomed you, if he called Judas friend, he will welcome you. Do what you came for, friend. Do what you came for.